Okay, so we're going to continue and wrap up today um, our conversation about who we are as a church. This is a discipline that we do at the beginning of every year as a reminder just to get us back on track, to get us back in alignment. A natural tendency for us, as with all human groups, is to, to have mission drift, to kind of slowly get distracted by the squirrels or the fires or the moles that have to get whacked on the head or whatever that happens throughout the year. And so how do we bring everything back? And so we discipline ourselves <coughs> to look at some of the key principles for who we are and what it means to be a church um, every year during this time. Um, and then next week, we will be jumping into the book of Luke um, and then unpacking uh, the book of Luke from a, a teaching uh, expository style, Lord willing, until we're done with the book of Luke or uh, Christ returns. So that's the, uh, whichever one of those comes first and, you know, we never know. So with that in mind, by the way, if you didn't, if you hadn't noticed it before I mentioned it last week, I'll bet you noticed the sound difference in the room this week as you were engaging just then uh, as we were singing and praising together. It was really very, uh, pretty amazing. So here we are. We talked about last time the significance of the invitation. And the first place I spotted the significance of the invitation in who we are. And in, so we've looked at our uh, at our motto, we've looked at our, our mission statement, we've looked at um, the pillars of ministry, those different things that kind of guide us in decision making. Well, this time we're looking at what we call the conveyor belt that moves people from not knowing the Lord, not knowing um, the gospel, not knowing uh, us as a church, and eventually getting to a place where they are ministers. Because that's the goal. The goal while we're here on earth is eventually that we all understand our identity as ministers. That's our primary identity as Christians is that we are ministers. That's what we are first. We are his ministers. That's our, our main job. Now we have the ministry in our home, um, like to our wives and, and husbands, to our children, to our family, to others, but fundamentally the thing that can never be taken from us and it must never be taken from our identity um, and the way we live out our lives is that we are ministers. We're servants in his kingdom. For all of us. We learned last week that with this first invitation, we learned some interesting statistics like that 82% of unchurched people would attend if invited by friends or family, or at least they claim that. Now, they may be lying, but that's the, they think they would come if they were invited by friends and family. I'm sure that number drops off significantly if it's by a random stranger, just anyone randomly coming up and inviting someone to church. Although, we're, as we're going to see in a second, that's not offensive either. Um, we saw that 70 to 85% of those who do come, including us, were invited by friends and family. Um, but what struck me was one site reported that 96% of unchurched people, when asked, would welcome the invitation. So whatever messages you tell yourself before you invite someone to church, and you're like, oh, they're going to be offended by this, they're going to think this is weird, they're going to, uh, I'm going to look like some kind of weirdo, stranger, a cult member, you know, whatever we're worried about, the impression being they're going to be offended by this and frustrated by this, and I'm actually going to push them away from Christ by asking them, to, inviting them to be involved <coughs> in my life, in my church, in my Bible study, and whatever. Well, it turns out only a very small percentage of people would find that even potentially anything other than welcome. So that's something we want to be, do, be doing. But what's wild is another statistic was that seven in 10 unchurched people say they have never been invited to church. Seven in 10. As the church, we should find that convicting. Uh, yes, people do say, they joke about here in Tyler, Texas, that if you find out their name, their career path, and then where they go to church in that order. But I think that's more of a, probably a misnomer. The truth is we probably don't 
ask or don't invite nearly as much as we should. So we want to really be encouraging us as we think in those terms. Now, moving into that, through the generosity, they come, they've experienced the generosity that Christ has that we then live out, and this is a generous church. I think we do a good job of this. This is a church that loves to give and loves to serve and and loves to do that kind of stuff for people. I think this is a generous church, and we talked about that last week. You can, uh, if you didn't see it, you can look it up online and see as I unpacked even our finances and some of that kind of stuff, um, and what a generous church I think this is, which is really amazing. So the next question is then, how do people become attenders? They're guests. They come. They experience us. They come one time, or they come a couple of times, and that's some of you guys who are here today will fall into this. I'm sorry that we're like speaking about you like you're not in the room, but that's the only way I can do this under these conditions. We really are, as I will say in a minute, we are really, truly very honored um, that you are here. We consider it an honor that you would be willing to come and give us a shot at showing you how proud we are that you are here. The key there becomes this. Hospitality, the, reason, the way people go from being a guest to being an attender, meaning they come back and back and back is through hospitality. That's what they experience when they get here. So this is why we have so many people in these various roles serving on, especially Sunday morning or Wednesday night or other times when we have community gatherings, that we have those who are out there greeting. This is this, this, the experience people have when they, we get the feedback and they say, I was amazed at the hospitality. I love the hospitality. Um, I thought it was great. This is not us, me patting us on the back. This is just an evaluation. I think we do this pretty well. Now, I guess based on the feedback, we do it extraordinarily well. I would say there's nothing extraordinary about what we do. Nothing. This should be the experience you have at every church, in every place, in every part of the world. Of course, if you come to my home, I'm going to greet you. What a weird world that it would even be considered a consideration that someone could show up at my home, come in, wander through my house, eat some of my food, have some coffee, come in and sit and watch TV with me, and then leave, and I never greet them. How strange that would be. And yet, apparently, you can do that in churches all over the country. That you can go in, you can get some coffee, you can wander around, you can sit down, you can watch the guy up front spout off for about 30 or 40 minutes, and then you can get up and leave, and no one ever greeted you. And that, to me, feels just shockingly strange. I don't get that at all. That, that feels as just as weird to me. That's not our church. I, I'm proud to say that's not our church. In fact, the, fee the only time we get negative feedback about hospitality is the introverts. Every once in a while, who are like, is there a way to sneak in? Without getting, you know, dogpiled every time I try to come in, I get people greeting me at the, at the side, they're picking me up about my car, and they're greeting me at the sidewalk and at the front door, and then I'm trying to get in, and there's a bunch of students, and like, is there an introvert's entrance? Like, is there a special way I can get in and maybe only get greeted once or twice? And we do, I'm not kidding, we actually do get that feedback every once in a while. And my answer to you is, yes, it's this door right here. This fedora off to the side, if you want to sneak in, you can sneak, well, I've thought about putting signs up. Uh, little introverts entrance, but I think people would think we're mocking them or something like, no, I mean it. Like I've gotten that feedback enough that I'm tempted to put up a sign that says introverts entrance. You only get greeted once or twice if you come in this side one. Um, go through the main one. Listen, enter at your own risk when it comes to coming in the front. Hopefully you get greeted eight to 10. We outnumber, if you're a guest, we outnumber you 10 to one. How could you be greeted less than say 10 to one times? I mean, that's going to be normal. That should be the normal, the way it works. It's, it, the, the Greek word for hospitality is philoxenia, philos, brotherly love, fondness for, a care for, xenos, stranger. 
We are friends to strangers here. That's exactly what we're supposed to be. That's what hospitality is. And we know that it's, it's kind of a Baptist thing. Um, and many churches, other churches do it too, where we do the meet and greet time. And people, we evaluate it, we, we discussed it, we discussed at the beginning of our, us as a church, we continue to discuss it. And the danger of the meet and greet time is that if it ever becomes the stereotypical Baptist 360, then it's worthless. At that point, we'd be better off not doing it at all. If you find yourself doing that and you're a member of the church, cut that out. Um, that's worse than not doing it at all, in my opinion, because then it's just us greeting the people who sit near us, and we know that's going to be pretty much the same people week after week because we're such creatures of habit, whereas our guests are going to find themselves in pockets around the room greeting one another, and that's not cool. We want to be greeting them, but the people whose home this is should be welcoming those who are the guests. So as when Paul tells you to jump out of those chairs, or if I say bail on those pews, or whatever it is we say, we're using that active language on purpose. You don't have to literally jump. But we do want you to get out of there if you're a member and go find people you don't know. That's part of being hospitable. It's not natural. Human beings are not, listen, not naturally hospitable. We look for faces we know. We find comfort in people that we know. Strangers to us give us negative vibes. It's a bad feeling. We're pack animals and we like people who are in our pack. New people in the pack make us feel a little strange. That's why when it's our home, hospitality is a discipline we've got to do. And again, I think we do pretty well at it. I, I like who we are as a church when it comes to hospitality. We have a model for that that we come back to over and over again every year where we talk about this, this very powerful nomadic warlord, um, like a Bedouin chief, this guy named Abraham. And in his old age and power, great power, whole nations like Egypt were nervous when Abraham's no family, nomadic family showed up near their borders. That's how powerful this guy was. When he wanted to defeat five kingdoms of armies, he just did. And so this is some, this is a powerful guy. And yet, so he's, this is, he's not humbled by his social status. He's one of the most powerful men probably in the world at the time when he's alive. And yet we have this beautiful encounter in Genesis 18, 1 through 8. I'm going to unpack it very short. We have spent times, we have spent two or three sermons just on this passage and on this teaching. It's that important to us that we have a Middle Eastern, an ancient Middle Eastern mindset about hospitality. And that is that you coming and visiting, you coming and giving us the opportunity to serve you honors us. We are the ones who are honored to serve. In this encounter, you have this powerful man sitting out under a tree, chilling out, and three total strangers come walking by. He rushes out to them, begs them to join him in his home, begs them to let him serve. He falls down on his face. He hurries to them. He underpromises. He says, uh, I, I want to just give you a little bit of water and maybe just a morsel of bread. Let me just take just a second. Let me get you a little bit of water, just a tiny bit of bread. And then he over delivers. He rushes back to his home, goes to his wife, goes to his servants, goes to his leaders and says, we've got guests here and we're going to do this right. Um, they end up getting enough bread to probably be 13 loaves of bread that he takes out to these people. He takes a fatted calf. He takes fine drink. All these different things he brings out to them in this opulent over-expression of hospitality. I am so honored that you would, you would be willing to come and be served by me. That's the picture that we have. 
It's why we spend thousands on trying to keep the place clean. It's why we spend thousands on coffee and donuts is to communicate to you, especially young families who need one less reason to not come to church, like one more thing out of the way that makes you go like, okay, listen, we don't have to worry about breakfast. The kids will at least be excited about the donuts, right? And they may not like coming to church, but they do like donuts like me. So that whole, that, that pattern is the, that, that we follow that. Those are there are for a reason is to say, you can feel at home here. It's part of why we try to go with a more casual look here. One less barrier. Listen, be comfortable when you're here. This is not a competition here. That's a part of who we are. The writer of Hebrews, I think, is referencing Abraham's experience. I think this is what the writer of Hebrews is actually saying. Let brotherly love continue. That's the same word, philos. Do not neglect to show philoxenia. Philos, again, to strangers. It's actually one word. Hospitality to strangers is one word. For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Now, maybe some of you who are guests are angels and you're here to evaluate us for judgment, just like happened with Abraham. And then what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah, who did not show very good hospitality to the two angels who showed up, right? And their cities got incinerated for that. So we, we always want to have hospitality because we believe it's key to them. It's key to all the different things that God has called us to do. Um, so... That being said, let's look on at, as we look at our pathway, so strangers become guests through generosity. Um, we used to think guests became members through hospitality, but we learned there was a different population years ago, and that population were the attenders, people who came and experienced the hospitality and just continued to come and do that. How do we get someone from just being an attender, a spectator? That's great if that's the stage where you are. Praise God, we're glad you're here. We look forward to serving you. However, our hope is that eventually you become a minister. You're someone who serves in the kingdom. You're someone who invests your life. Our D now emphasis this year for the disciple now for our students is going to be that they learn to walk in God's word, that their life lives this out, and then they can be standing at the end when they face the pressures that the world puts on them. That's going to be our focus. That's for all of us that we're ministers. We're not just passive soakers of God's word, but we are active members living out those ministries. This invitation we discovered was necessary for attenders to become members. And part of me wants to even take the word member out and redefine it as like engagers or something that it's not just getting a membership card, filling out the card, and we all applaud for you, which is great, but that you see yourself as, okay, I'm now an engager, I'm active, and how do we get into that ministry and maintain that ministry? Lord willing, we'll get there today. This is the passage that shows us how to live this out in the local church. In the early church, the first century church, as the church was established in Caesarea Philippi, but the first time they began to live as a church is after the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. So we have in Acts chapter 2, you see that what the early church did, how they lived. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. All came upon every soul. Wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceedings to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the, <clears throat> the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So here's the deal. 
It's how, if we work backwards, they were growing. New people were hearing the gospel and responding to it. Their lives were being changed by it. Why? What was going on? Well, they were focusing on the apostles' teaching. They were finding purpose and value and meaning in the teaching of the apostles, the people who had sat at the feet of Jesus Christ, who had walked with Jesus Christ. They would say, here's what Jesus taught us. And then first generation and second generation and third generation, and that's all we're doing on Sunday morning here is we come together as a community, we praise God as a community, and then we sit under the apostles' teaching. Not me. I'm just the pastor teaching. But that's why we look to Scripture is because that's where we find the teachings that God has that He's taken, He's brought to us through the authors that He used in Scripture. The apostles' teaching, they learned together. These people loved to learn together, to grow together, to discuss the truth together, to talk about life together. They then focused on fellowship. Fellowship, there you go. So the idea that they, would, they were coming together as a community, there was a sense of us, we. Uh, I, get, I get disturbed when I'm in a conversation with a member of our church, and they say, they, they will talk about stuff, and they'll go like, I love what you guys are doing with this. And I'm like, you mean we? You love what we are doing with this? This is what you mean to say if you're a member of this church. You're part of this. No, you may not have been the one who hung the sound system, that doesn't mean you weren't part of that. I promise it. We couldn't afford it, or we wouldn't need it, or we wouldn't if you, we weren't bringing people in. Like these are the things that we are together. That's the idea of fellowship. That we're coming together and learning each other. The breaking of bread. There's debate theologically on whether this is about the Lord's Supper or donuts. So we go with both just to, just to solve it. Right? We do both uh, every Sunday morning. If you would like to join us for the Lord's Supper at about eight forty. Every Sunday morning we're going to be doing that here, unless we have baptism, in which case we join out there or up here to do baptism. But um, you can join us in that. And of course, uh, everybody won the free donuts and coffee for a year award this last year. So the praying together is one of the things they do. This implies they care about each other. They know each other. They serve each other. And by the way, this is another emphasis we're working on at the cultural level in our church, is that all of us are becoming, hopefully getting more and more involved with the saturation of prayer. Because I think that's the, another key vital component to who we are. And we need people who are stronger in this area of ministry than I am to lead us. And so be looking to, for that as well. There'll be more and more opportunities coming out for all of us to be joined together in faithful prayer. They saw miracles happening. Now, part of that is because these were apostles and the works of the apostles were special. But I've seen miracles in this church in the last year. Um, if you haven't, I would say you may just not be clo looking closely enough. We watched a church from China escape persecution against all odds, and we got to be a part of that. Um, we have a staff prayer list that every week when we meet together as a staff, we write down our prayer requests, and then periodically we go back and look at those, and we're shocked to see the miracles that God has accomplished. We just, we just move through life, God answers our prayers, and it's like, ah, it just happens, and then we don't even realize it, and we go back and look, and it's shocking to see the miracles that God has accomplished that really are not answerable any other ways. I have watched people in our church face death and divorce and terror over the last few years in amazing ways miraculously. I saw a baby get a heart as a miracle against all odds. And I've seen, I've met that baby and the, and he's adorable and we've seen him here. It's, it's just shocking. I saw another family who lost their baby be fiercely loved through that experience of miscarriage or losing a baby. I've seen that happen many times in our church. That's a miracle for us to care about each other like that. I've seen marriages survive, and I've seen other people be loved through infidelity and abuse and divorce. 
Those are miracles. We, those are painful. Those are hard. We don't like walking through hard things with our own lives, much less other people's. And yet I see it done all the time here. I had someone this week when I went to go visit them, and they're in a really tough time, tell me, like, our, our, we're going to have to buy another fridge or something for all the food that people keep bringing us here at this church. That's a miracle that, that in a time when, when our resources are stretched thin in our country right now, that people are still giving opulently like that. It's a beautiful picture to see. I've seen truth come out, and I've seen freedom in the midst of addiction in the last couple of years. And, and let me tell you, freedom in the midst of addiction is always a miracle, always a miracle. And any freedom we can have with an addiction. I've seen hearts and bodies healed, sometimes without explanation. And so I would encourage you, if you don't know about the miracles that we see around us, um, I hope you'll begin to look and see those. I've, I've seen those signs and wonders, even in, our own, in my own life and in others. We are generous and compassionate. People can experience that here as well, just like they were. We don't share everything anymore, but I think part of that is because we don't have to. We're so opulently wealthy, we can give just a percentage of our money and still cover everyone's, kind of cover everyone's needs in regards to that. We, and, and, and the early church didn't pull that off for very long. Not even they were able to pull it off very long. But the, how, many, how many of us could have, in, in, not many of us could have written that $500,000 check that the church gave to other ministries and mission organizations around the world this last year? Not many of us could do that, but all of us could and did. Now, many of us could do those type of things. I couldn't even write the $30,000 check just for the donuts and coffee that we give to people every year. And yet, as a church, we're able to be hospitable with those type of gifts for one another. So, new people coming, people attending, and they had favor with all kinds of people. Now, here, I'm going to submit to you, I think, two reasons why. One, God's faithfulness, and two, these were inviting people. I don't mean they just went out and invited people. I mean they were inviting. Wouldn't you want to hang out with these people? They sound fun to me. They like to hang out together, like to talk together, like to eat together, like to debate together, discuss, sing. They like to, they like to minister together, like to do work together. <clears throat> this is a great picture, guys, when I take this back to marriage. Is our marriage something that my children look at and go, that's enticing. I want that too someday. Well, that's what a church where people come and experience us. They should have that experience. This, I want more of that. Is my faith alluring? Is it attractive? Is it enticing? Now, obviously, these were. Not, what's funny is when I looked up these synonyms, I was like, that's not where I was going. By the way, with this, um, although obviously, I mean, look around, attractive. We're nailing that one, right? So enticing, seductive, like, wow, that was, that was not the path I had for inviting. I just meant a group of people who were disciplined to invite. That's all I meant by being inviting, is that we developed the habit and the discipline of inviting other people. And I don't just mean into the church, I mean within the church, but I love this idea of the early church growing because when people engage with them, they hung out with them and were like, hey, I like these people. This is a great place to hang out. I like doing life with these people because they are inviting. They're, the life they live is enticing. I want more of this. It's, it's tempting to me. It pulls me out. Some of you may have seen one of the major lead atheists in the country for the last 20 years. This, um, I'm blanking on her last name all of a sudden. Somebody may be able to shout it out. She was a Muslim who became a, an atheist, and now she has changed her. And the whole thing was because this whole Christianity thing, she, she ends up kind of selling like, it's kind of the whole package. Let's stop trying to invent something new. It turns out Christianity is already that thing. 
What a great picture. She's been hanging out with some Christians, apparently, and they've been attractive, enticing. Um, she found herself tempted, in a sense, out of her atheism. This is a good thing. There, there's some good things in this. So as we continue looking at this, I'm trying to move relatively quickly here. <clears throat> um, Jesus says, Jesus promises those who leave other things, who leave and give stuff up, he tells his apostles, hey, listen, there are people who are going to leave stuff. You've left things, but here's my promise to you, who will not receive a hundredfold now and in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands and persecutions and eternal life. So are we doing that? Are we these mothers and brothers and fathers and sisters and homes and lands? Are we living that out with one another? Because those are fun people to hang out with. People who will step into our lives and serve in these roles that we need. We should have a choice in this church, of course. Everyone has a choice whether to get involved. Wherever you are, can you get more involved? And I don't just mean in this church. I mean in the kingdom. We'll talk about that in a second. But you get to decide. Everybody gets to decide how involved they're going to be. What I don't want is for people to get to choose on whether or not they're invited to be involved. I want everyone to be invited to be involved. Could it be that people aren't being invited to be involved? Are we not welcoming them in? Many of us have read Rosario Butterfeld's story, um, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, as, the, as what, what brought her to Christ was being invited into a family, into relationships, into a church, into, into all of these different things, that uh, the aspects of our lives. This is a key part of who we should be, can be. Are we inviting people to meals and games and experiences, conferences, retreats? I even wondered, like, so I'll ask. We have a men's retreat coming up. I wonder, men, not just how many of you are going, but how many of us have invited someone else to go? And my guess is the answer is almost None. Probably very few of us have invited another, whether we're going or not. And probably many of you who are going, I, I wasn't planning on going. It's because no one's invited you to go. And I intentionally am not giving an invitation from the stage today. Because I'm going to talk about, I think it's worthless. Maybe not worthless. It's bordering on worthless for me to do so. As we become a bigger church, I want you, we want you to know about the different options. But as we become a bigger church, I think, I think these numbers... There it is. I think these numbers begin to apply internally, not just externally into the outside world. This is the why people go to church. I think if you were to say, why do people go to a life group or a Sunday school class? Why do people go to a Bible study? Why do people go to a conference? Is these, I'll bet these are pretty close to being the same. Somebody, somebody goes to a life group because, oh, I was just kind of interested in the topic or went by my own initiative or I liked the teacher or, or something like that. I'll bet the vast majority of us who join a life group or who join a class or join an opportunity to serve, it's weird to go serve with kids or teens or adults or, or in the greeting area or making the coffee or whatever. But what if you're invited to do it? Come do this with me, which is how I define, by the way, the word invitation. Invitation is to seek to convince somebody to join you. Come do this with me. Come live this out with me. After all, think about it. This is a, when we, when we live this out, when you go, oh, there's a life group, there's a Bible study, there's a something going on, you go, well, how do I know which one to go to? How do I know where to go? Well, it's the same sort of thing you do with anything else. How do you know which bank to go to? How do you know which Mexican restaurant to go to? 
right? Well, you probably got told about one. Oh my gosh, there's this bank. I had a great experience with them. Oh, there's this, there's this opportunity. That, there's this Mexican restaurant. They've got the best queso ever. Like you, so, you, so we go, and we all have opinions about it, but that's where we start. When you come to a church, and you're, even if you're attending, and you hear about all these life groups and conferences and seminars and events and, and weekend stuff and all that kind of stuff, here's what's wild. When it comes to that, you're a stranger. I've not been to that life group. I've not been to that conference. I've not been to that Bible study. It's just as weird to me as church was the first time I went to it. Who's going to be there? I don't know. Who's going to be involved? I don't know. And so we begin to have to live this out again. We have to, you know, once again, they become a guest because we're generous. We love, we have a lot of different life groups. We have a lot of different studies. We have lots of opportunities to serve. And yet, how do they become, live this out? They're going to become attenders. How do they become members who minister? Well, they're going to need an invitation. They're going to need someone to invite them. My guess is that's the vast majority of people who come for the first time to a class, for the first time to a conference, for the first time to serve in a certain way, it's because they got invited. I'm going to bet it. And yet, if I were to ask, how many of us think we're doing a faithful job of inviting internally within the body, my guess is it's pretty bad. When Ginger and I first came to Tyler... Um, we, went, we visited one church for a little while, and we went, ended up going to Southside Baptist Church where Mark Price was the pastor. Great church um, over on Old Jacksonville. And Mark had been, our pastor, been a pastor in Nacogdoches when Ginger had been there at SFA and when I was there growing up. And so we we're like, hey, we know him. He's trustworthy. He's a good man. We'll go sit under his teaching. And we went, and we sat kind of in the middle. It's a relatively small church, 150, 200 people, maybe tops. And we sat kind of near the front, and the very first Sunday we went, it was very clear there was blood in the water. Fresh meat. New guests. We got invited two times to a Sunday school class the very first time we ever came. Total strangers. Hi, I'm so-and-so. You ought to come to our Sunday school class. A few minutes later, no. hey, I'm so-and-so. You ought to come to this Sunday. There was a tug-of-war going on already the very first. How? Well, they're smaller church. And so everyone kind of knows what's going on and everyone knows when you're a guest. We talked about this on the podcast this last week. Paul pointed this out. But we've come to the place where we're a large enough church now where not everyone knows everybody. In fact, if you sit on opposite sides of the room, you've never met, probably. You're like, meet each other. Hey, you want to come to our church? I do come to your church. I've been coming for 10 years. Like, oh, good to meet you. Like, that's a, we got to be okay with that. It's going to happen. You ought to come to my life group class. Oh, I'm the teacher of another life group class. Uh, oh, sorry. Well, but okay. So you probably go to one then. So that's a, like, that's, that's great. Those are opportunities. We, we've just got to be cool with that one and just decide we're cool with that. When that happens, awesome. And by the way, remember 96% of people aren't offended by an invitation. I'm not. If I have a Muslim friend or had a Jewish friend who invited me to synagogue or to mosque, would I, would I be like, oh, I'm so offended? No, it kind of bugs me that no one ever invites me. Like, that's kind of like, I guess they don't want me there. That to me is a, that's, that's, which should be the response. Of course, most people aren't going to be offended by us inviting them. That's great. Guess what? That works internally too. If you invite someone to come to the conference, they're probably not going to have their feelings hurt by you inviting them. But what we have learned is that people begin to feel isolated and left out if no one ever does invite them to something. Now listen, there's a percentage of us who are going to be involved no matter what. You can't stop us. We've got enough FOMO. It's our 25%. The fear of missing out is so high. You put something on the screen and we're like, how do I make that happen? Right? How do I make sure I'm there? I'm going to be at all the life groups. All of them. Right? And then there's probably a percentage of people who are here who nothing we do is going to get them involved. 
Maybe for now. Maybe they're traumatized by church. They've been badly churched or poorly churched or whatever, and they're not ready to, to come and join. That's okay. But I think there's a percentage there in the center that if we said, hey, you ought to come to this with me, they're going to say, okay, I will. And they're going to feel loved by that. And even if they say, no, I've already got some involvement, they would, that's going to be good. So we want to give you the tools that you need in order to be able to, it's our job as the, that is our job as a staff, us inviting people so it just doesn't work. We can't do it in a way that's effective. It's useless. Um, we're, we're kind of hamstrung. We're, we're kind of hogtied when it comes to inviting people. Here's why. A couple of reasons. One, you think if I invite you, I'm just doing my job, right? Uh, you're paid to invite us to stuff. I get up here on stage and invite you to stuff all the time, right? Oh, yeah, it's his job. I think actually there are plenty of people who think I get some kind of a bonus if people attend. Like more people came, so he probably gets more money. That's, what's, that's his job, right? Not true. That's not how that works. This is, but, but the other reason is usually when there's stuff going on at the church, say like Sunday morning, I'm busy. Uh, I work on Sunday mornings. I can't invite you to join me in a Sunday morning life group. You know why? Because I'm not part of a Sunday morning life group. I'm probably in here. And you're going, so you have to do, I could tell you, you ought to go to one, but I can't invite you to mine because I'm not part of one. Does that make sense? I invite you to other things. I do. And I do invite people all the time to the discipleship stuff I'm a part of or the Bible studies I'm a part of. But, but to say, hey, how do, you, how do you do that? Well, you have to do that. The staff can't do it. Uh, or we do it, but it's not going to be effective. That's not how that works. So we want to get the information out to you. So everybody take out your phones. Like everybody, seriously, take out your phones. This is the link to the new church app right here. It's going to have, has all kinds of information on it. So pull out your, if you don't know how to use one, pull out your, pull out the camera. Let your camera link to it. When you link, it's going to ask you to register. You register with your phone number. So let's imagine that we had not already canceled tonight's uh, ministry opportunities and postponed it a week. And you're like, how will I know? Well, this app would have told you. Um, in fact, it will tell people today, if, if that was, since that's what we're going to do. Like, that's, that's what we're, that's what we're going to, this, this has, by the way, there's all kinds of cool things. For example, if you're like, oh, I wonder what my, what I've been giving or, or my, what my end of the year giving thing was for 2023. I didn't get it in the mail or something like that. Okay, cool. It's on there. You can go find that on this app. You can see where you are in regards to giving and that kind of stuff. You can see your groups. You can communicate with your life groups and the different groups you're a part of through this app. We can give pushes and, and notifications through this app. You've got all kinds of information on there. It, the church calendar is on there. You say like, oh, I've always wondered when I could go work out with the people who do the workouts during the day here uh, every day. And you're thinking like, I want to do it when it's 18 degrees, so I want to come this week. Like, I don't, I don't know if they're going to meet this week, but... Like I want, well, it's on the, right there on the calendar. I want to come to this event or that event. It's right there. I want to contact somebody. It's right there. I wonder who's, which staff member is in charge of what. It's right there. This is just another tool that you can use that we can communicate and we can communicate with each other. If you run into it, one, there's a, you're going to have to refresh it periodically. It's, it's, the system is created to do that. You may run into a glitch here or there where you've got to restart it. Again, it's a new app, so I was figuring that kind of, that kind of stuff out we're working on. If you break it, let John Redfern know uh, because then we can fix it and make it better, because he would love to do that. Okay, good? Everybody good? Let people know about this in our church. This is gonna, I think this is going to be a, a key thing for us. This is another reason why um, we want to be able to start doing name tags better, to encourage everybody to check in. Now, you can check in through the app, because it's that cool, um, or 
but, but it won't print out a name tag for you. So if you want to get a name tag, stop and check in. This is going to help the church database quite a bit from knowing, um, hey, who's using it and who's not? Because we have thousands of people on our database who we know don't go here anymore, but it all transferred over. So how do we, how do we filter that out? Well, if you're here and you're checking in, we know not to delete your account. Um, and so, because we know apparently you're coming. And so please, please check in. But it also really helps with invitation. When we're inviting people to things and they've already got a name tag on, it makes it easier to invite them. It also makes it easier to be invited to things. I, I got already invited twice this morning to life groups. Uh, I think it's because I'm wearing a name tag. Uh, just kidding. It, um, it's a, as we're looking at this, everybody got the app thing. If you didn't, you can find it at South Spring, uh, looking at South Spring Baptist Church on a, an app store should show you that. Now notice how this plays out invitationally. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. People seeing us love each other, invite each other, be involved in one another's lives is how they know I might should get involved in this. If they see us doing a good job of inviting each other, if guests see us loving each other with hospitality, which they do see, we're really good at that first blush, first impression, but after that, our church as a whole, we've not been as consistent. And I understand it. I get it. I'm right there with you. Been as more consistent about being inviting long term. So, do people experience the invitation? Are we inviting? I think we are. Now, do we give the invitation? I think sometimes we don't. Um, the, this is the investment model. I'm skipping over past that. So where do we find that utopia? Well, it's not going to be on earth. However, living through the biblical principles, the greatest experiments of personal freedom, responsibility to learn, to know, we've come as close as any human culture ever has, and the church, the local church, is intended to be a picture of that. We are not under any pretense that we're going to nail this. We're not under any pretense that you're going to find true utopia even in this church. We're still dysfunctional, jacked up people. And so what we hope for is, what we really need is an analogy. I wish we had an analogy of what it's like when someone lives in one culture, but they try their best to live according to the rules of their home culture. And they have a place where they go and gather to live out the best they can the rules of their own culture. Well, I looked and I found one. I don't get credit for it. The Apostle Paul refers to us as ambassadors. Ambassadors are people who live in a foreign country, but they live according to the rules of their home country. Those are the laws they're answerable to. And periodically they go to an embassy. So the embassy is meant to be this little version of that kingdom they come from. Yes, it's not a great representation. It's not an awesome representation. For example, this is the Egyptian embassy. Is this as good as going there? I submit it's not. It's not as cool. It's not as awesome. And that's true. This isn't the fulfillment of the kingdom. But this is our efforts to live according to the rules of that kingdom, to live according to the philosophies of that kingdom. That's who we are as a church. It's a place where Christians can come and live that out. And so a guest who isn't a Christian who comes should get this awesome vision of what the utopia someday might be. What would it be if everyone not full of flaws loved each other and welcomed each other and were hospitable to each other, but in a new way were able to do that? However, 
It's important to note, just, disciple, just, just inviting people for invitation's sake is a trap. We don't want you to come here just to come here. Remember, we're the uncool member of this couple. But as we talked about, our goal is for you to come so that you can become a minister of the gospel and experience discipleship. I will tell you, church, the reason we want to be inviting is not just so people will like us, not just so our numbers grow. I could not tell you how little that means to me and how little that should mean to all of us. There's ways to get lots of people at things. We've seen it. Those aren't always things that have eternal significance. What we want is for people to come and be involved and be engaged so they can be discipled and eventually become ministers themselves. Discipleship, learning to become like our master. Discipleship, um, us, each of us taking what God has taught us and then teaching it to other people and trusting it to them. Discipleship is inviting people to follow us as we follow Christ so that we become more like Christ they can become more like Christ. That's why we exist. It's so that these disciples eventually, as, they, as we say, like Jesus did, follow me, that they learn to become ministers. And what's amazing is ministers are inviting. They are generous. They're hospitable. Inviting their disciple makers. This is what we're trying to create in the local church in South Spring. It's a plan for people to say, I don't know anything about wherever they, enter the, the, wherever they enter that conveyor belt as already ministers, in which case they hopefully jump into service and discipleship, bam, right off the bat. If you are someone who's a total stranger, I don't know anything about the church, I don't know anything about the gospel, I don't know anything about Jesus, our goal is to move you down this path so that eventually you someday are telling other people about the gospel, that you're living that out for them as well. That's our hope. So with that in mind, we're going to do what we call every week an invitation. Some sneaks up on you, doesn't it? We're going to do this invitation. So if you will, stand with me. This time of invitation, what is it? It is a verdict. It is you having heard God's Word taught. You've heard us as a family discussing these important things, and you're saying, I've reached a decision. I've reached a verdict. I've come to a conclusion you may settle that with the Holy Spirit right there where you are. I need to get more involved. I need to get more involved in the kingdom. I don't just mean the local church. I need to get discipled in God's kingdom. I need to be discipling other people more effectively or faithfully. I need to be serving or I need to find a group, a community of people to have fellowship with. I don't know what it is and I never know what it is. Only the Holy Spirit and you can speak to you about it. Maybe you would say, my marriage needs to be something that is inviting. It's something that my kids will go, that is inspirational to me. I want to be a part of that. That our neighbors would say that. Our friendships, our neighborhood, our church, certainly. I respectfully invite you to respond to the invitation to know Christ and join him at his feast with me someday. I would love for that to be the case, for all of us to someday, to come out of the orphanage and come to a life of meaning and challenge and the opportunity, and maybe to die for something worth living for that the family of the bride would, would like to invite you to a reception, as we say at the end of every wedding. The family of the bride would like to invite you to a reception. This reception is called the Wedding Feast of the Lamb. And someday it'll be hosted on the new earth, under the new heaven, in the new kingdom. And we'd love for you to be a part of it. I'm going to read. Um, so in a moment, as we, as we sing, if you want to come up and, and pray for any reason, if you want to accept the invitation to eternal life through Jesus Christ, we would love to talk with you about that and pray about that. 
If you have been through our welcome home process and you're ready to join our dysfunctional family in the moment we're singing, you can come up and do that as well. If you need prayer, anything for any reason, let me read to you to show you how inviting and the type of invitation our Lord has. Here in Luke 14, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread of the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet, he being Jesus here, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. At the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to those who had been invited. Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I bought a field. I must go out and see to it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I must go examine them. Please have me excused. Another one said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master, and the master of the house became angry. He said to the servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there's still more room. So the master said to the servant, go into the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. We serve a God who wants his house filled. For those who are, think they're too important for it, fine. There's plenty of the rest of us who know we are broken and jacked up and we need someone to invite us in and we want to be invited. His is a kingdom of welcoming and he would welcome you too. He is urging you and he's asked me to compel you. Please be a part of it. These things um, we would say together, Lord, we pray that you would help us to know that we live according to these rules that your kingdom has created. These rules of love and, and of freedom, these rules of grace and of obedience, righteousness, holiness, to live a life worthy of the calling with which we have been called. But I pray that you would give us the faith and the endurance to live this out. And Lord, I pray that in time, just as our church has a reputation for being generous, we praise you for that. Thank you for using us in that way. That we have a reputation for being hospitable. Thank you, Father. I'm so proud of all of us in the midst of this. It doesn't come naturally to us. Thank you for your spirit accomplishing this in our lives. And now, Lord, I pray that you would help us um, to be faithful, to be inviting, that our lives would be so enticing people would want to know about you. Lord, we ask these things in your son's name. Amen.